Psalm 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. But the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Karen. Well, hello and good morning. My name is Tommy Branna, and let me join with Bart in just welcoming you and thanking you for being here this morning. I'm one of our associate pastors, and I have the privilege of opening up the scriptures today as we continue on in our series, The Cry of the Soul, where we're looking at those big emotions and how they are expressed through the book of Psalms. And kids, we love having you in here today. Thank you so much for being with us on this Family Sunday. And what we always want you to get a picture of when you're with us is some of the things that we're doing and learning about here on Sunday mornings, what all the adults are up to. And this whole series, what we're looking at is our emotions, our big emotions. Or another way to talk about that is our feelings. And big feelings are those ones that take over your whole body. You feel them from your head to your toe. And some of those can be wonderful emotions, right? Like we can feel big happiness, big joy. Uh, Big kids and little kids alike, raise your hand if you have ever been filled from head to toe with joy. I feel like for so many of us, the word Disneyland is ringing in our heads somewhere. But you know, sometimes those big feelings can also be hard feelings, and that's what we're talking about in this series. So we're talking about things like anger, Raise your hand if you've ever felt anger from the top of your head to the tips of your toes. Yeah, a lot of hands out there. Until very recently, the warriors were making me feel big anger a lot this year. We're talking about things like worry, like nervousness. So raise your hand if you've ever been so nervous. Yep, from the head. Yes, lots of us. And today what we're talking about is despair. And despair, especially if you're one of our uh, younger folks in here today, is a word that you may not use that much. And so if you're trying to think about, well, what is despair? You can just use the word sadness. It is a big sadness. And raise your hand if you've ever felt big sadness from the tips of your toes to the top of your head. Yeah, I think many of us, many of us are feeling that feeling right now. I know that I am. 
And kids, I know that listening to a whole sermon can be less interesting than everything in your busy bags. So let me just tell you this now. The whole big idea today is that we believe we have a God who wants to know about our big feelings, who we can take our big feelings to, and we can talk to him about them. So when we are so happy, we can celebrate and thank God. And when we're so angry, we can go to God and say, God, I am angry. And when we're worried, we can go to God and we can tell him we're worried. And when we are big, sad, we can cry with God. And so if you don't hear anything else today, what we want you to hear is that you have a God who knows about your emotions and who wants you to bring them to him. And so today, as we look at despair, I want to do that by really asking three questions. The first question is just, what is despair? How do we think about it? The second one is, what do we do with despair? And then the third question is, what does God do with our despair? So let's start with our first question. What is despair? Well, the dictionary definition of despair is the complete loss or absence of hope. And while that captures what despair means, to be honest, it rings somewhat hollow because despair isn't something that you just think. Despair is something you feel. This is why despair is so often and so richly expressed in art through poetry, sculpture, painting, and song. I mean, here's how David describes the feeling in Psalm 6. We just heard this beautifully read by Carolyn, but this is a song, a poem of despair. He says, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. You know, despair is a sadness that is heavy. It's colored by darkness. It is vast and lonely. Despair feels somehow outside of time, but also endless and inescapable. And when it comes, and this list is by no means exhaustive, It comes because of something that's happened in your life. For example, you were decimated by a job loss or a bill that can't be paid or a diagnosis that's been received. It comes when you fail to accomplish something you've been working for and hoping for. It comes when you just can't imagine how the relationship could be fixed. It comes when you feel out of options to try, when you need an escape but can't find one, or when you are crushed by the grief of loss. And despair can be corporate. We as a church right now are feeling corporate despair. And corporate despair can also come right in the wake of tragic losses, natural disasters, wars. But despair is just as often an isolating experience. Despair can be a place of solitude. So if that's what despair is, our next question is, what do we do with despair? How do we handle it when despair comes our way? And I want to suggest that we have two sort of primary and rather unhealthy ways of seeking to deal with our despair. There's two paths that we walk. The first one is to ignore it, or at least try to ignore it. And the second one is to be swallowed by that despair. So I just want to talk briefly about each of those. What does it look like to ignore our despair? Well, ignoring despair often looks like constant busyness, 
or chasing distraction. This is another Netflix binge or shopping spree. This is opening up another bottle or scrolling endlessly on your phone. It's anything rather than making space to be alone with our thoughts and our feelings. At its heart, ignoring despair is trying to avoid the source of pain itself. And the problem with this approach is that despair is far more determined to be dealt with than we are to ignoring it. We can't wait it out. We can't bury it in the past. Time alone is not enough to heal. But the other thing we can do with despair, if we're not people who ignore it, is to be swallowed by it. To sink into the pain where it becomes the glasses that we wear. Where we see the world and ourselves only through the lens of our overwhelming sadness. And this is a life that loses vitality, engagement, or hope. It dwells in a pit of despair. And this too is insufficient to deal with despair. Because while despair will wait you out if you ignore it, it will also happily reign over you for as long as you will let it hold the throne. But thankfully, in Scripture, we find another way forward, a different way to approach our despair. And that brings us to our third and last question today, and this is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning. And that question is, what does God do with our despair? When God encounters our despair, what does He do with it? And I want to suggest He does four things. God hears, God comforts, God reframes, and God redeems. You know, one of the things I'm so grateful for in Scripture is that it does not give the Instagram version of life. It's not just the well-manicured, filter-adjusted, perfect moments. Scripture shows the pain, the heartache, the failures, and all their rawness, and that means that we find despair all across Scripture. I could stand up here and just list for hours, but let me just give a few examples. We find Cain in despair over the consequences of killing his brother Abel. We find Sarah in despair because of her infertility. We find the Israelites in despair over their enslavement. Saul in despair over his failure as a king. Jeremiah in despair over the condition of his nation. Hosea in despair over an unfaithful spouse. Esther in despair over the danger to her people. We find Job, Naomi, and David, and so many others in despair over the death of a loved one. The Bible is a book full of desperate people experiencing the full weight of life's troubles. So as we explore this last question of what God does with our despair, I want to look at what God has done with the despair of those who came before us. And I primarily want to do that by looking at the stories of two major biblical figures, Moses and Elijah, before we loop back to Psalm 6. Moses is a titan of the Old Testament. This is a man called by God to lead Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And Elijah is one of the most powerful and significant prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. He was the voice of God to the nation of Israel. So let's look briefly at their moments of despair. Uh, In Numbers chapter 11, we find Moses, and Moses is venting to God his frustration at being crushed by the task of leading Israel. And the quote we're about to look at has a long wind-up that is very worth reading, where Moses is really just letting it out. But let's just look here at this crescendo of his complaint. This is Numbers 11, verses 14. Moses says this. He's talking to God. 
He says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we find Elijah. Elijah is, has the unenviable task of standing against evil leadership, and he feels discouraged, and he feels alone. And in 1 Kings 19, we have this from Elijah. It says, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. These are portraits of despair. Men who feel the weight of desperation, who want a way out of their circumstances but cannot imagine one. And what does God do with their despair? Well, first, God hears. After these words from Moses, after these words from Elijah, we see this. So in Numbers 11, responding, it says, the Lord said to Moses. And in 1 Kings 19, after Elijah voices a complaint, it says, and the word of the Lord came to him. What does this mean? Well, it means that the cries of Moses and Elijah did not just go out silently into the night. They weren't crying into the void. No, these were words of prayer heard by the God of the universe, one who was with them and who was listening to them. They cried out to God and God heard. And this is a beautiful and important truth for us in our times of despair, times when we feel alone. Because the truth is we are not alone. We are never alone. God is with us. He hears us. He meets us. And we just see this over and over and over in Scripture, in scripture that God is with us in our despair, which means that we are invited to voice our despair to God with full honesty. So God hears us, and next we see that God comforts us. How do we see this in the stories of Moses and Elijah? Well, in Numbers 11, we see this again with Moses. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And for Elijah, we hear this incredible interaction where a storm is passing by, and then it says, and there came a gentle whisper. And that gentle whisper was the presence of God. You know, Scripture gives us so many images of God's care for us. He is a shepherd caring for his sheep, a loving father, a protecting mother. And here with Moses and Elijah, we see that in action. We see God's presence come to Moses in the cloud and come to Elijah in this gentle whisper. This is God with them, comforting them, binding them up, making space for their pain. God is the kind of God who cries with us, who laments with us, who grieves with us. Jesus tells us in John 14 that this is one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is the comforter. So God hears us and he comforts us in our despair. But then we see God move beyond comforting into reframing. And so this is our third kind of what does God do? God reframes. Well, what does this mean? It means that God shifts our field of understanding to shine light and hope into our circumstances, not as a way of dismissing our pain, but in order to give us a more accurate picture of reality, to help us see things that despair was shielding from our field of vision. And here's how he does that with Moses and Elijah. So again, back in Numbers 11, we see this, God saying to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders. They will share the burden of people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. 
And to Elijah, God says, anoint Elisha to succeed you as a prophet. And then a little bit later, he says, and I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. And what God is doing here is reframing the vision of Moses and reframing the vision of Elijah, inviting them to see a bigger, more truthful picture. He's reminding them that they are not alone, and not simply because God is with them, but because other people are with them as well. So Moses can share that crushing burden of leadership that he feels, and Elijah will have a successor. And you can feel how this breathes new life into Moses and Elijah, how it shines a light of hope into their lives and into their despair. And I just want to say this is such an important point because in both instances, God is connecting them to other people who can help, people who can journey with them. And you know, if you are here today and you are in the midst of despair, one of God's gifts to you is the community that you are surrounded by right now. And part of his aid to you is these people, this church family, to journey with you through this difficult time. So please hear me saying this loud and clear. If you are feeling swallowed by despair right now, if you are on a journey of sadness, tell someone. Invite someone in. Come talk to one of us pastors. Share it with your small group. Tell your spouse, a trusted friend. Tell someone. And and kids, uh, if you happen to be paying attention right now, if you are feeling sad, tell mom and dad Tell one of your teachers, our amazing children's volunteers, a huge part of God's help to us in this family, the church, is having people who can care for us and walk through pain with us. It's part of how God reframes our despair by letting us know that we're not alone. So after God reframes, finally what we see is that God responds to despair by redeeming it. Here's what that means. You know, uh, Romans 8.28 is this beautiful verse that I think can often feel trite and unhelpful. It says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And in moments of pain and in moments of despair, that can sort of feel dismissive or shallow or simple or painful. What I want to say is that if you look at the long arc of how God works in and through people's lives, we can actually see that this promise that God works for the good in all things from those who love him is that it is a beautiful truth. We see that God is able to bring healing, goodness, and redemption out of our stories, even the hardest parts. What the story of the Bible makes clear is that your moments of despair are not outside the realm of God's power to heal. So we see this in the life of Moses, who after this moment goes on to faithfully serve God and lead Israel well beyond this just low of lows for him. And we see this in Elijah, who's able to move through his pain and into a life of fruitful ministry that he will one day hand off to his protege, Elisha. So we can see that God gives us a future on the other side of despair. And that brings us back to Psalm 6 where we see David praying to a God he knows can handle his despair. He goes to God with anguish and groaning and weeping and sorrow. All of those words found directly in this psalm. Let me read them one more time. David expresses his anguish, his groaning, his weeping. 
and his sorrow. But he takes it to God, knowing that God is with him, knowing that God can comfort, knowing that God can help him reframe and see the bigger picture, and knowing that God is his hope for redemption. And it is because of that hope that at the end of this psalm, he's able to write these words. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. And the Lord accepts my prayer. David is not ignoring his despair. He's not swallowed by it. He is taking it to God. And we have the exact same invitation today. In just a moment, we will come to the table And really, there's no better example of God's work in the midst of despair than the table. Hours before Jesus was crucified, we read that he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That sounds an awful lot like despair to me. And God the Father did not deliver him from the pain and trouble ahead. He was crucified. But God was with him, comforting him, helping him reframe his understanding of this immense hardship and ultimately redeeming not just the crucifixion but all of creation through Jesus' death and resurrection. So God led Jesus to a glorious hope, in fact, a throne in heaven that was on the other side of his sorrow. And this is the same God that we can bring our despair to today. So let me pray for us. Lord, we come before you today a people full of sorrow. God, the sadness at the passing of Rosie is crushing. And even in the midst of that, we know that there are so many other pains and difficulties and uh, points of despair that exist in this room right now. And Lord, we just bring those to you honestly and openly to say these are crushing us. They hurt, Lord, and we don't know what to do with the pain. But we trust that you are the one who hears us, that you are the one who can comfort, that you are the one who can change our field of vision, and ultimately that our hope for the redemption of this pain is in you, Lord. And so we cry out to you to hear these prayers and to be the God that we know you are. Amen.